Welcome to the Why on Earth Community Podcast. I'm your host, Aaron William Perry, and today we're visiting with my dear friend, Marissa Pulaski. Hey, Marissa. Hi, Aaron. Lovely to be with you. It's so nice to be with you, too. Mm. And we're here in the Elk Run Farm garden at uh, Drylands Agroecology Research Headquarters. And I'm, I'm so thrilled that we have this opportunity. This is the the other half, we might even say the better half of our two-part his and hers uh, series that we're doing with you, uh, co-founder of Drylands Agroecology Research, and your partner Nick D. Domenico, the other co-founder of Drylands Agroecology Research. So I am uh, so excited, Marissa, to have the opportunity to visit with you and really learn from you uh, m much about what you're holding uh, at the feminine pinnacle and archetype of this, this community and this hub here in the region. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. We could say Nick is also the better half. <laughs> we could indeed. They're, they're both better halves. So do the math. <laughs> Marissa Pulaski is the co-founder of Drylands Agroecology Research. As a graduate of environmental studies and the psychology of health and healing at Naropa University, Marissa is passionate about igniting the innate human earth connection within herself and others. She runs Folk Farm at Elk Run, encouraging play and the importance of intuition. A trained doula, skilled herbalist, and a cultural advocate, Marissa continues to evolve through practicing ritual, embodiment, and communication with the unseen. Marissa directs both the cultural advocacy and education branch within DAR, Drylands Agroecology Research. We call it DAR for short. Mm -hmm. Leading programs for indigenous-led cultivation and regenerative practice. And, you know, Marissa, we have actually in here, in your, in your bio, so many important themes and topics mm -hmm. uh, that are not only, I think, of interest to our audience for our own health and well-being practices, but really are core to the heart of this regenerative transformation emerging all around the planet. And I'm, I'm just so excited to, to dive in. And so I, I want to ask you, what is it that uh, has you thinking about play and the importance of intuition in this work? Mm. Well, that takes me right to the children. Um, and so I'll just start with the importance of having a healthy, life-giving foundation for our future generations. And I know that so much of us have grown up with um, stern parents, rules, regulations, not being good enough, having to um, exist and learn in a way that's filled with rigidity. And so part of what I... Uh, welcome and invoke for children is an opportunity for them to think through their own soul's path, through their own clean mind that's so fresh at a young age. And I think that part of building intuition comes through playing because when we play, we go into that right brain. We go into a place where we're um, not necessarily feeling like we have to follow rules or exist within a particular structure. I think if we're not able to welcome playfulness into our life, then maybe we shouldn't be saying that we're living regeneratively. <laughs> um, play is just as important to me as weeping or praying. Uh, 
um, invoking this innate wildness within us. And I also feel like when we're working with plants and we're working with, um, let's say, especially wild weeds, um, they're reflecting to us this wildness. They're showing us naturally how to invoke a sense of freedom. And um, I really believe that there's so much suffering in this life and, and that's okay. And what is it to really lean into pleasure and lean into play and lean into um, spontaneity? And spontaneity for me often is ignited through play-based anything. Absolutely, so. yeah. Well, and, and those of us who have the, the privilege and honor of spending time here at Elk Run Farm know that there's a fair bit of amazing spontaneous creativity that occurs whether it's a dance party in the evening or a <laughs> special lunch gathering during the day. And as uh, an observer watching what you've created for the children, you know, I, I really resonate with what you're saying about how playfulness is so important as it relates to wildness and freedom and, and regeneration. Mm. And, you know, some of the time we're out and about and we offer, you know, our children's books, of course, through the Why on Earth community. and. Every once in a while, someone gives me this quizzical look as if regeneration and sustainability is only about solar panels and technology. And mm. that stuff's really, really important. But yeah, I've been known to say something like if if you don't get why we have children's books, then perhaps you don't quite get uh, some of the aspects of this movement because there mm -hmm. really is this this uh, forward looking, this presencing that is also in tune with and in touch with how our work is benefiting into the future for future generations and i know that's a really important theme for a lot of the indigenous community leaders that you work with through mm. your various programs and projects and i'd i'd love to hear about what you're doing with those programs and 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 why what inspired you to take on that leadership role mm. thank you for that question there's a lot there um well, I'll start by saying I, I believe wholeheartedly that we are all indigenous to the earth. And I also believe that in this path of um, walking regeneratively and learning how to create a more regenerative-based lifestyle, we have to pay attention to earth-based practice, to ritual, to tradition, to who continues to walk these lands and who has walked these lands. I notice a lot of the time I'll just say, you know, with reparations work, oftentimes we'll say, oh, these Indians or Native Americans used to do this. Let's cut that. Yeah. They are here and they are still walking these lands. So I believe that um, somehow it's my soul's work to continue to ignite um, rematriation and a re-emergence of culture that is based in earth-based work. Now, thankfully, a lot of the First Nations people within this area have always been in relationship to Father Sky and Mother Earth. So it just so happened that um, I began to focus more on um, providing, I would say, opportunity for indigenous folks because of my relationships and my own work that I have with particular ceremonies and uh, I thank my father for that as well. Um, my mother passed when I was really young and um, she told me, you know, when I was one or two years old, she would always say, Marissa, that's a brown person. 
You know, we, we mm. pay attention. We see the differences in colors. And so mm. I think she planted a seed in my heart. And um, my father really introduced me to some tribes in upstate New York at a young age. And so I was exposed to how their medicines um, helped me to transform and to find my center. So I'd say that's the root of it. And also, I'm just aware that there's so much separation going on in this world um, between the privileged and the minoritized. And I'd say it's just my passion to understand how to, specifically in relationship to tending the earth, uh, create opportunity for that to be a really rich experience. To dismantle and decolonize this idea that when we're farming, that when we're growing our own food, that when we're working with the earth in any capacity, that there's a reflection of that being like slavery. Like that's just lower class work. And really that's the rich experience that creates abundance and mm -hmm. creates good health mm -hmm. and creates a healthy mind. So there's that. And a lot of my work right now is focused on food sovereignty projects mm -hmm. and specifically indigenous led food sovereignty projects mm -hmm. where everyone has a right to clean water. Everyone has a right to clean and healthy food and everyone has a right to be breathing in uh, the brilliance of clean air. And so when I was at Naropa, I studied um, environmental studies and the psychology of health and healing and I got really into environmental justice mm -hmm. and I started to understand how people were misplaced and planted, mostly people of color, um, in very toxic environments. Mm -hmm. And I love growing food and I love being in community and that uh, relationship that I have with a dear sister, Yoloteo, who's taught me so much. Um, she is the chief executive director of Harvest of All First Nations. We've just been dreaming together for a little over 10 years now and um, through our sisterhood and through our passion uh, for food and culture, we began weaving in this program that's now planted at the Yellow Barn Farm. Mm -hmm. um, so Nick, my better half, <laughs> um, <laughs> had been doing the master design at the Yellow Barn Farm. No. And so he was running the, our pigs through there and chickens and we cover cropped and we basically created um, a really fertile place to grow food. And I feel like within the organization, part of my my work is to make sure that, that equity is happening, you know? It's like so much land exists and a lot of the time um, privileged folks are the ones who are able to be able to grow a lot of food. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of come in and say, okay, and let's make sure we're sharing with the larger communities and those who maybe don't have um, as easy of access. Mm -hmm. So, I saved a bunch of seeds, gathered a bunch of seeds from different communities. Spirit of the Sun, Shannon Francis, um, she's amazing. She was able to give us some uh, corn seeds and Hopi sunflower seeds and just these essentially seeds that have, have grown for hundreds of years that she's continued to save. So we started planting them and we started creating opportunities for volunteers to come, uh, people of color to receive stipends to actually relearn how to work with the earth and um, through that a huge corn festival emerged and now we're developing a whole regenerative food sovereignty training program on what does it look like um, to grow large amounts of food in a way that doesn't involve machinery and 
excess labor and just like a really, it's almost like a way of life, invoking a new way of life that includes prayer, that includes presence, that includes uh, working with the spirit of the land and um, all that needs to be healed within our hearts and our souls and of course on this earth as well. How do we bring people together of all walks of life to relate with the land? So that's a big project we're doing. I could pause there or I could continue. When, when and how will people be able to plug in with that training program if they're interested? So essentially that will be coming out in 2023. Mm-hmm. So that will all be on our website, social media, um, at elkrun.farm, and through our newsletters. I'm hesitant to share too much about how to get involved yet because we're still sure. finalizing all of the details. And when you say on the website, is that the DAR website? Yep. DAR.eco, so that's D-A-R dot E-C-O. That's it. We'll let, make sure that uh, folks can see that in the show notes as well mm. if they would like to. Thank you. And and I, recognizing that that's in development, mm-hmm. um, wow, what what a beautiful vision and project to be offering. What are what are some of the approaches you're planning to take with that offering? What what would folks experience? What would that look like for people? <clears throat> to to the extent that that's clear now. Well, the invocation is truly indigenous-led farming, mm-hmm. and what I've noticed is that there's. Um, been a gap in relationship to the traditions that have come through many cultures of First Nations people on these lands and then the actual earthwork that's happening. Mm. So there needs to be some remembrance. Mm -hmm. I I almost hesitate to use the word training. It's just Mm. um, practice and Mm. working together in community to remember how to grow food and so I see this lasting for at least one more season if not two and then the folks who are involved in working these gardens and growing food will begin to scatter off and and lead their own projects in the world so really my work is to step back over and over again as much as I can once I feel like the patterns the regenerative patterns are in place Mm -hmm. Um, because a lot of the work that we do also involves animals right so you have your pigs you have your chickens you have your cover crops and that that means more food if you eat meat and if you don't meet, eat meat great it's I understand why nevertheless for it's the fertility for the plants yep and it's food it's mm-hmm. not going to whole foods it's yeah. you know you're raising your animals and you're raising your vegetables mm-hmm. and what else do you really need mm-hmm. water of course there's a beautiful magpie that just flew mm-hmm. um, yeah so I, I, I feel like the true work is for me to completely step back and watch folks just ignite mm-hmm. uh, projects around the globe. Yeah, you have a real magic and skill, a grace around that kind of pattern organizing that I, mm. I observe mm. as a member of the community. It's, it's absolutely fabulous to mm. witness. And uh, I think it really not only enables so much to happen in the community, but it's a way of empowering a whole lot of people to have even greater impact themselves, mm-hmm. which is beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. And I've been exploring that word empower a mm, lot too, mm, because mm. what I'm realizing is that everyone is already in power, yeah, right? Yeah. And just making it clear that I'm not even helping people. I'm not mm. 
necessarily empowering people as much as just relating with people. Mm -hmm. How can we relate again Mm -hmm. and come back to just this knowing that we all come from earth. And if we don't come from earth, then we at least know that our food and all that we need comes from her. Mm -hmm. So it's almost a, um, an invocation of weaving together and learning from one another. Um, because I think there's so much out there, especially around like white folks coming in and helping these communities Mm -hmm. and empowering these communities. Mm -hmm. And so I'm, I'm really working a lot on the semantics of all of this, of like, what's really true. Mm -hmm. And what's true to me is that we're coming together to remember Mm, how to steward this land, which thus opens our hearts. It's just how it is. I love this. And in terms of some of the other indigenous leaders that you're working with, Mm -hmm. are they all necessarily from tribes that have it have a historic relation with this particular region the Ute, the Cheyenne Arapaho are there other tribes as well there are other tribes gotta shout out the Shoshone Mm -hmm, um mm -hmm. been really really blessed to do some work on the Wind River Reservation out in Wyoming and get to know an incredible family um this mother has eight kids and she's like my idol in so many ways Mm. I don't know how she does it her children are absolutely incredible um so we just got some pigs out to their reservation there and going to get the soil moving and start another project. Um, so just bringing them into the conversation. But we also work a lot with um, folks who who come from the Mayan tradition, mm-hmm. um, Aztec communities and Mexica folks. Um, so they didn't necessarily, you know, come from here, mm-hmm. but uh, their ways are woven in a lot of Latinx communities as well. Um, so really, it's just people of color and just overall minoritized folks, mm-hmm. folks who just maybe have been oppressed based on how our system works. Um, through the postpartum care project, um, we're in collaboration with Harvest of All First Nations and the Community Roots Midwife Collective. All you mamas out there, please give them a, yeah. a look. They're incredible. Um, So through our work with them, um, this year we were able to, thanks to grant funding, bring out some folks from Mexico, some abuelas. Um, So that's been really beautiful. Just um, carriers of tradition, I would say. So no, not all of them are Arapaho or Cheyenne or Shoshone or Ute. Yeah, yeah. It goes beyond. And I think that's the real work too. That was the corn festival. That's the harvest of all First Nations is wow, there's so much separation between mm. all these tribal peoples yep. and power to the people, right? I mean, that's another thing that's so deeply inside of me right now mm. is I feel like we've been forced to separate. And so how do we just weave in coming back together no matter where we are or where we're from? Um, so power to the people, just want to say that. Absolutely, <laughs> yeah. And, and one of the things that I love learning about is how so many of these tribes interacted through space and time and that you know something like cacao was actually traded as a as a currency of sorts all the way up from central america into these parts yes and there was all kinds of exchange and knowledge and story and you know even my friends and relatives in the the mohawk and iroquois regions of uh, that that central and upstate new york area mm-hmm. who been on the podcast i'll mention in the show notes we had a couple of wonderful episodes, including one with 
my friends Tiffany Fallon and Gawenniosta talking about some of their traditions and especially their work as women in a matrilineal and matriarchal culture that is still very strong and very much intact. And, uh, you know, there's, there's so much, uh, even knowledge around different medicines from different parts of yes. Turtle Island and the trading that occurred in sacred ceremony and, in annual gatherings at times where, you know, folks from the mountain regions would be able to trade for things coming from other, uh, growing zones and climates where, uh, you know, different, uh, species of herbs and medicines were available. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I don't know if it'd be helpful. I'd love to connect them into what you're doing because it would be, yeah. I think, just an amazing opportunity to continue expanding the the sphere of the both the knowledge and input coming from these amazing women in particular and also mm. the learning and sharing and trading that can go on physically and, and uh, metaphorically, uh, literally and figuratively, so mm-hmm. to speak, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that that is so absolutely amazing. And you're, the way you talk about the nourishment coming from our mother, our mother earth, mm. and, and that deep connection that the women folk carry with mm. that, that grand pattern and archetype. And I know you do a lot of work around here also facilitating mm. uh, prenatal and postpartum care work for, for women, for mamas, and uh, was hoping you would share a bit with us about that like what you know what gets to go on as a guy i don't get to sit in on some of these circles and i I have a a vague idea but uh Mm -hmm. you know to the extent you'd like to share it i would love to share with our audience some of the work that's being done in those circles beautiful Hmm. what comes to mind is just our relationship to the mother earth and how we're relearning to be in relationship with her and to care for her. And we're also as women learning how to be in relationship with ourselves and learning how to care for ourselves and to to understand that our gentleness, our fierceness, our cycles, our seasons are so sacred. And I truly believe we're relearning how to mother ourselves over and over and over again. And you know, after birth, it's not very well known that there is a sacred portal of 40 days that really, if I hate to use the word should, women are invited to truly rest, to be with their baby, to welcome new life into the world in a way that includes a pause. And the first thing I want to name around that is it takes privilege takes privilege to not be working it takes privilege to have people to help take care of the needs to cook meals for the rest of the family so I'm not naive to that but I do hope and pray that we can create a culture that actually makes it easy for women to be able to care for their wombs and themselves especially after birth and um Essentially what we practice within the postpartum care project is a traditional ceremony called a serada, which is a closing of the bone ceremony. And so you're bringing the hips and the pelvis back into alignment and helping the uterus to come into a place where she so delicately can be uh, held in a way that's uh, balanced. And so that's what's happening. And it's done in a way that... uh, 
is very intentionally uh, woven through use of plants, water, fire, heat, prayer, song. And it's not only for postpartum, excuse me, women, it's also for uh, women who have experienced sexual abuse, women who, like myself, had had surgery, women who have difficulty with their cycles, children, uh, young girls or young women who maybe have had tragic falls where their, their uterus and hips have come out of alignment. So we're womb carriers, we're water carriers, we're learning how to um, deepen relationship with understanding the power of what we hold in our bodies. And so there's this invitation to, to wrap and to realign so that we can be in alignment and continue to give in the way that we are meant to give and to receive in the way that we're meant to receive. And this was the first year that we were able to do a retreat and we were able to um, welcome only women of color, completely paid for, um, onto this land here um, with teachers from Mexico and California and elders included um, to relearn how to take care of ourselves, to relearn how to make salves and medicines out of goat and cow and all sorts of different fats and um, to just remember the simplicity of how to work with, with plants in our bodies. And I feel like we're also relearning the importance of birth and the importance of death and how that cycles infinitely in relationship to our cycle as women as well. We bleed, you know, and we ovulate. What would it be if we lived in a world where people understood that we might have completely different personalities at different parts in our cycle. So just sharing that as a man, you know, like to know that when we relate with women or beings with wombs, we're shapeshifters. So you as a man get to shapeshift with us, get to kind of tune into, ooh, who is she today? Where is she today? What does she need today? And our work as women, I believe, is to receive support and to ask for help when we know we need it. And ultimately this gift that we have of relearning how to be our own mother. I really believe that's our, that's our work to learn how to mother ourselves so fully so we can then mother the rest of the world. That's so beautiful. You know, it, it reminds me in the listening work that I did to mm. put together the the story Veriditas, the, my new novel, where the characters come here to Elk Run Farm and we actually get to meet and encounter Marissa and Nick and some of the others mm -hmm. in the community. Um, there was a point where I was actually learning and d diving a bit into the menstruating woman's hormonal cycles within one lunar period approximately and my friend Marie Mullins actually shared with me some really useful info and we ended up creating huh. a graphic that's in the book that shows the four major hormonal groups that cycle up and down through the course of that 28 days plus or minus wow. in a woman's body and uh, yeah it's extraordinary to understand how that can be understood to correlate not only with the lunar cycle itself and herself but also the the seasonal cycles that Mama Gaia goes through yes. in, in each trip around the 
son and you know speaking of these planetary movements mm. which of course is a big part of the attuning work we do when we're working with the biodynamics which mm -hmm. i know is a part of the stewardship and regeneration work here at elk run farm mm. it strikes me this thing about the 40 days shows up again and again in sacred mm. scripture and in different uh traditions and uh you know it's 40 days in the desert it's 40 days uh of a flood or whatever in yeah. some of these stories and it turns out that curiously venus in in her travels relative to sun and earth from our perspective on earth when she disappears moving from morning star to evening star relative to what we see in the sky yeah she disappears for 40 days at a time ah! and there's a deep tradition of the affiliation with venus as another mother goddess feminine divine feminine force along mm. with luna earth moon and earth gaia and so yeah I'm, I'm just i'm struck by how this this 40 days shows up in in so many different ways in the ancient wisdom coming through so many different cultures wow thank you for sharing that and i don't know if there's there there must be i don't know what is the biological you know basis for that in terms of the 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 hips the birth canal the the womb the woman's body after giving birth and very i'd be curious to dive into that a little more and learn about that a little more yeah i'm just thinking of community roots too and how cool it would be to have a podcast with them i don't know if you've done that but they are just they hold so much wisdom in relationship to the womb and pregnancy and cycles. Yeah, yeah. No, I've been chatting with Felicia about oh, doing a podcast sometime, and I hope we'll do it soon. And yeah. they actually, they were so sweet. They gave me one of their wonderful t-shirts with that beautiful artwork on yeah. there. Um, so yeah, I, I hope that uh, this seed we're planting right now will help uh, to make that happen. Cause I, I really would love to have that mm. conversation with Felicia and, and mm -hmm. the other women she's working with. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, this is this is this is so much, and I'm I'm really also struck by uh, something you spoke to earlier. This mm. idea of, for so many of us in modern culture, uh, the ability to pause for forty days after birth, or yeah. the ability to grow so much food, really is primarily, it seems, made possible <sighs> by privilege and you know the the financial abundance that not every family frankly has the experience of at this moment or access to but what strikes me is looking at our indigenous life ways looking at our ancient ways looking at our uh native ways of of doing culture together uh these kinds of patterns are and and were very much accessible to everybody mm -hmm. and so the question isn't necessarily one of quote unquote economic development or or financial you know fill in the blank in whatever sort of modern linear box we might be thinking through but really it's a question of culture and i'm very struck by this notion of post-industrial culture regenerative culture post-colonial culture and i think marissa not only is your leadership in the community hmm. a nexus point a hub for that emerging phenomenon but even your thoughtful examination of the language the very words that we're choosing in our mm. communication is so central and we all well those of us who have 
studied uh, the history of, of colonialism and of the the patriarchy mnemonic culture, which is another theme in, in my book, Veriditas, we know that language um, is one of the primary tools and forces that has been at play in all of that over hundreds and hundreds of years. Mm-hmm. So, you know, thank you for that. And I, mm-hmm. I'd love to ask, you know, how, how did you, you had some magical experiences as a child up in the Northeast New England, New York area. How did you first start to understand the, the role language plays in all of this and, and how has that unfolded for you in time? Mm. Language. I have to say one thing first because it yeah. just keeps buzzing through my mind. The yeah. two words, sacrifice and patience. Mm. And I feel as though in this day and age to grow food, yes, that's seen as a privilege. But what it really takes in my experience is sacrifice. Mm sacrificing what we know to be true on how we are in this society. Mm -hmm. It's a way of life. It's a way of life that we're surrendering into. And it can feel really lonely at times. But you're never lonely because you have all these creatures and beings. And and tending to the earth brings community together ultimately. And patience also in knowing that you will make mistakes. And that Actually, most of the time your seeds are going to grow because they want to grow. But maybe at Mm. times, you know, things won't emerge or trees take a while to fruit. (coughs) So I just wanted to bring those two words in. Mm. And your question is so intriguing to me because surprisingly, I am like really into language beyond words. Mm -hmm. I'm not, um, I love to read. I love to talk and communicate. Mm -hmm. Um, but I believe when I was young and because I was an only child and just raised with my father, I had imaginary friends mm-hmm. and I, you know, God bless my grandmother. She was right next to me and all my cousins, but I spent a lot of time just talking to Jasmine. That was her name. Mm-hmm. And I would push her on the swing and I would take her through the gardens and I would pick her flowers. And so I would say for me, there's also an a need for us to communicate without language in form, without just Mm -hmm. words. Mm -hmm. We need to understand, this is just a belief, we need to understand how to read body language. Mm -hmm. We need to understand that the importance of connecting with one another's eyes Mm -hmm. is just as profound as sharing a whole paragraph Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) to one another. We need to learn how to be aware of when someone's heart is tender. Mm -hmm. That's all language, too, in the unseen. So I would say that's what's most profound in my experience Mm -hmm. of language. And as leaders and as light workers and as earth stewards, it is our right. And I would say on some level, our duty to understand how to communicate with the larger world in a way that's understandable. So perhaps we need to learn how to simplify our language once in a while so things Mm -hmm. aren't this is specific to working on the earth so that it's not as complicated we're actually just rewiring our being to (coughs) understand simplicity and that in itself takes courage because i feel like our culture just pushes us and it's all about complexity and navigating and saying the right things and um but you know, even back to when I was talking about semantics, that's from my heart. Mm-hmm. That's because I, I want to be really um, mindful of generational trauma and, and what can create triggers. Mm. 
So words are really powerful. And no words are just as powerful. So that's the language that I love. <laughs> it's really beautiful, yeah. Yeah, my experience, and for different reasons, I had a lot of solitary time in the woods as a young kid and mm. had some really wild and magical experiences as a result. And yeah, this wasn't uh, mediated by or uh, facilitated by language in the normal sense. There, there's something entirely different from mm. f in my experience that happens when I'm, I'm out in the woods in the wilderness or sitting or, or even kind of hiding, not literally hiding, but just kind of tucked away in a garden somewhere. And uh, there's so much communicating that occurs that is not, uh, you know, going through the channel of the English language or any other uh, spoken or written language per se. And uh, yeah, for me, that's actually an increasingly vital uh, part of life, daily mm -hmm. life. And the rhythm of the practices that we have in any given week or month or season. Mm -hmm. And I find myself craving that more and more, the more busy I get yeah. as a leader, as a writer, as somebody engaged in this work at a planetary scale, it, it, it becomes clearer and clearer to me that that time, that quiet time of, of listening, that quiet time of no language is, is, absolutely essential mm -hmm. it, it, it is actually necessary at least for me to do the work I feel called to do mm -hmm. and uh, I think there's an invitation there for so many of us to in this remembering you speak to uh, to to restore this deep intimacy with mm -hmm. with this is mama Gaia I mean this is when we're in the woods when we're by the brook with the moss and with the soil and with the dragonflies you know this is our direct relationship with mama earth yeah and uh, a lot of us uh, have have really lost that and disconnected from that often through no fault of our own yeah and I, I think the invitation is for us to understand and reclaim and restore that and and that my my sense is as more and more of us choose that for ourselves, for our families, and for our communities, we're, the healing of the planet and of the culture actually uh, almost will follow as a result. Yeah. And uh, it's not to say there's not a lot of other work to do. There is, and some amazing yes. folks doing this work. Yes. Uh, but anyway, I, I just I, I love how you're speaking to this, Marissa, and how you embody this in the community. And you know, there have been plenty of times where you or I might bump into each other saying hi between meetings and what have you. And we might pick up that one of us is feeling a bit tender. Yeah. And to be able to quickly drop in with each other in that way is an absolute uh, gift. Mm. And, you know, maybe we've experienced this with our own mamas. I know I do with my mother and mm -hmm. shout out to Mama Marsha. Um, we love you. I <laughs> love you. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, to be able to receive that uh, from other women and other members of the community, I think, is part of this fabric we're we reweaving together. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And to be okay with discomfort. Yeah. Because the truth is, if we're really present with one another, that at times it's going to be uncomfortable. Yeah. And uh, so I just want to weave that into 
can we have the courage to just see things how they are and to be with it until it moves and to not push anymore. Mm-hmm. And there's a fast-paced need to to get it together, to realign, mm-hmm. to be centered, to, to be clear on, on where we're going because there's tragedy happening all around us. But Yeah. Yeah, yeah we have work to do. It's a very, we do. It's a very, it's almost a, it's not really a paradox. Maybe it is in the sense of paradox. I mean, there is almost this... Um, dual mode of existence that that emerges when we're engaged in this kind of cultural healing work mm-hmm. where so much is receptive and feminine in nature but there is and there is also this very active purposeful uh driven energy that is is moving through so many of us yes yes thankful for it would you like some liquid Veriditas green beautiful ah! period magic? I've never magic. tried it. Sure. This is the uh, the uh, the power shake. It's all these different organic uh, superfoods, green plants, and so on. Mm. And uh, maybe Ooh, it's the, like fruity. It's yeah, it's so good and Woo. fruits and vegetables. And mm. maybe I'll uh, take this opportunity to remind our audience: this is the mm. Why on Earth Community podcast. I'm your host, Aaron William Perry. And today we are in the gardens at Elk Run Farm visiting with Marissa Pulaski, the co-founder of Drylands Agroecology Research. Mm-hmm. And I want to point out that, uh, again, you can find more of uh, Marissa's work and her partner Nick's work at dar.eco. That's D-A-R dot E-C-O. Uh, you can go to at Drylands Agroecology uh, on various uh, social media platforms on Facebook. It's Drylands Agroecology and also at elkrun.farm. Which platform is that on? Is that so, uh, Instagram. Instagram, mm-hmm. at elkrun.farm. And there's a bunch of really beautiful photos on there if, mm-hmm. if you're interested in seeing that. Um, and also want to give a shout out to the Why on Earth community ambassadors who are engaged in this kind of work and helping to support our efforts in so many communities around Turtle Island and around the world. And a very special thank you to those ambassadors who are part of our monthly giving program. And if you'd like to join our monthly giving program at any level, you can go to whyonearth.org and you'll see the donate button. Go ahead and set that up. If you'd like to give at certain levels, $33, $55, $77 per month, we'll also send you uh, one, three, or five jars of Waylay Waters hemp-infused aromatherapy soaking salts uh, each Woo! month as a thank you. And I know we've got a lot of Waylay Waters fans around here. Um, and yeah, also a huge shout out to Purium and the work they're doing with uh, making available these amazing organic superfoods to all kinds of folks on the go. And their work in the Million Moms movement, helping to empower all kinds of mothers and parents, especially from uh, lower income and less fortunate circumstances to not only help achieve greater health and well-being, but also greater financial freedom. Hmm. And if you'd like to check out any of the Purium products, you'll get a $50 discount on your first order. This is a 60-day money-back guarantee, so there's really no risk. You can go to whyonearth.org Purium to get that discount. And also, 20% of whatever you end up buying at any point in time actually comes back to support the why on earth community's work Hmm. and uh have to also give a quick mention to yes my 
new book, Veridi Toss, The Great Healing is Within Our Power, which in a context of a, of a story, a really fun, exciting story, is uh, exploring a lot of the kinds of topics and themes Marissa and I are talking about today. And uh, this is available in both print and ebook at veriditasbook.com. That's V-I-R-I-D-I-T-A-S book.com. And as I mentioned, yes, the characters actually come here to Elk Run Farm and some other very special uh, sacred farms and sites and wilderness locations uh, around Colorado and the Rocky Mountain West in the course of the story. So I think you all might enjoy some of that. Mm. And um, I want to I want to say that, you know, Marissa, it's so much fun Mm. having this opportunity to not only be in visit with you right now today in the garden, but to have this opportunity to to live and collaborate and and participate with you in this broader mm. community context, mm. and uh, I, I am just profoundly grateful and feel so much joy that mm. that this is all very very real. And mm. uh, you know, I remember when my dear friend Mora, uh, one of our editors, read a chapter from the book Veriditas that was about sustainable settings. Another one of our mm. beautiful family friend farms uh, in Colorado. She called me and she said, "Is this place real? Can I visit?" And uh, just like Elk Run Farm here is very real and mm-hmm. people can visit and maybe we'll mention good ways for folks to plug in. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think moreover, uh, this is an invitation. Come and experience these kinds of places and these kinds yeah. of magical, wonderful people for yourself. Mm-hmm. I, I think it'll help us all continue to orient ourselves around what's truly possible and what we're really capable of in these times that we're sharing together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're more than welcome here. We have a new, I'm going to hand you your Thank you. I'll drink Thank the you. whole thing. Huh? Yeah, well, you're welcome <laughs> to have more. <laughs> um, we've implemented this new boundary yeah. um, for Sundays. So that's pretty much the only day that our gate is not open. Um, we have plenty of events. We have all sorts of events here. We love to shake our hips and drink some cider and listen to live music. Um, we host permaculture design courses, we host herbal medicine classes, yoga classes, sound journeys, um, fermentation classes. I mean, it just goes on and on. So you can find all of that on our website, dar.eco. I believe it's slash events. If not, it's pretty easy to find. Um, we have volunteer days every Friday. I believe that the volunteer days will end November 15th, but they'll start back up again in mid-March. So mid-March through mid-November, 9 to 12 every Friday, we always serve you lunch, and that's everything harvested and cooked from the farm. Um, That's something lovely to know about this place too, is we order our basics, olive oil, sometimes balsamic vinegar, coconut oil, tahini, coffee, um, sugar, green tea and black tea for kombucha, um, rice, and sometimes quinoa. And that's our base. Everything else comes from the farm. So if you're curious about learning how to cook and and reawaken your relationship, whether you live in an apartment in the city or on lots of land, um, there's so much learning to be done here and fun to have here. So Also, if you have any requests or if you're interested in hosting a workshop, a field trip, um, a private event, we're available for that as well. And I'll pause there. 
Yeah, and look, I will vouch that the food is absolutely exquisite. Not only is the food coming from the land already incredibly uh, tasty because of its nutrient density, its freshness, and the love that goes into its cultivation, but also there there are a handful, there is a handful of really talented chefs and cooks and bakers who spend time around here, mm-hmm. including Marissa. Oh. And so uh, y- you get to have a culinary treat when you get to experience any of these meals or snacks that mm. are available. Thank you, Aaron. And that reminds me that also Drylands Agroecology Research, I'm sure when you hear my better half, Nick's podcast, he'll go through all of this, but we have almost no water here. Um, We often wake up with no drinking water, no shower water, no sink water, thus no water to irrigate. So all the plants are just, they're like powerhouses. I mean, you can look around probably even in this background and um, all that's planted here really wants to live. There was a time this year where we could only irrigate 20 minutes every other day. And your typical irrigation would be like minimum like an hour and a half every day. So the, the food that you're eating is also just very vital. Um, and some of it's not watered at all, which I'll let you see if Nick went over that. And if not, come learn more about it. Yeah, and as our good friend Brigitte Mars would say, that when, when we're uh, consuming some of these plants that are particularly hardy and particularly resilient, mm-hmm. she's convinced that that's actually affecting our own body's DNA response and learning to become even more hardy and resilient that's ourselves. Yep. And uh, boy, that's a form of wisdom I sure enjoy hearing about. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, hey, I wanted to ask also, just knowing that, that you guys here and we together in community do some work with the biodynamic preparations. Mm-hmm. Um, how has that been in your experience, uh, bringing that layer into all of the work that you're doing here on this land and on other in other parts of the, the region? Mm. It's powerful, it's really powerful work. I will say the first time that I really went in to um, deepen my understanding of biodynamics, which was at Sustainable Settings, mm-hmm. I came back and I just had all sorts of dreams and spirit was telling me, you know, you need to be really careful and really aware when you use these medicines. Mm -hmm. So number one, it has changed the way in which we work with this land. Mm -hmm. Because if we're off center and we're using those medicines, actually nothing has ever happened thus far, but you know, we're working with skulls, we're working with plants, we're Mm -hmm. working with things buried under the earth. It, it, It asks humans to be uh, grounded mm-hmm. in a way. So I would say that's how it's affected humanity on this landscape is to really be in reverence of what is sacred, of what is powerful, uh, and to know that our minds and our hearts must be clear as we're sharing this medicine around the garden here. And, you know, I've, I feel like the most powerful something I've seen in the past couple of years is around the frost medicine and when we we spray valerian yep and we have had a couple frosts that have come extremely early and we have seen our fruits stay on the trees and we have been able to harvest and it's the kids who get to spray it it's the kids who get to learn Mm -hmm. how to be in relationship with the heavens and the power of of the medicinal properties of plants and animals and so that's just been massive you know saturn and and just seeing how how with our mind within our mind's eye and within our 
ability to be grounded and centered while applying the biodynamic medicine, it truly works because we're just, we're creating harmony. So we're just creating a deeper relationship. Thus, the plants are always reflecting where we're at too. Mm. So there are times when things will get a little funky uh-huh. and then we got to check ourselves out. Yeah. So I'd say that's the essence of what biodynamics has brought to this place. Yeah. And it's pumping and it's vibrant. Oh my gosh, it <laughs> sure is. It, it, I, I was noticing last, uh, toward the end of the winter before spring, around that time of in bulk, mm. the soils in the garden beds were, it was as if they were pulsing. Yeah. I was experiencing them pulsing with that life force. Mm-hmm. And yeah, of course, all year round, there's that incredible vitality. Mm-hmm. I, I know also, Marissa, that you've done quite a bit of traveling and have had the opportunity to mm. kind of dive deep with a number of different kind of cultures and geographic regions around the planet. And I was hoping you might just share a little with us about how that set of experiences has informed your work here today and, mm. and maybe give us a, a glimpse into some of what you've been able to experience elsewhere. Yeah, thank you. I'm like, where do I want to land on the globe? And of course, Tanzania is just screaming. Um, So I'll speak to that in a moment. But what I want to share is my travels, especially within the past five or six years, have been um, intentionally in relationship to either embodiment practice, so dance and movement, um, or my deep desire and longing to get to know plants and to understand analogs and the truth of what I see have seen is that everywhere I've been each culture continues to gather around food plants there's always elders within the landscape who carry wisdom of how to potentially go beyond pharmaceuticals and land uh, with the medicines that are directly in front of them. I've learned so much about place-based culture and how where we are actually creates culture. Celebration and dance I have found within every country that I visited. Mm. And... What I've learned is that I don't have to memorize it all anymore. Mm -hmm. And that there are teachers wherever you go. And that there's always an analog wherever you travel. An analog meaning there's always a similar plant or a similar medicine that you can find in another location. But upon arriving on each portion of the earth, it's so important, in my opinion, to understand the history of the place and to understand what's readily available. To get to know the wild weeds and to get to know the basics of what people are using within the culinary works. And so I just apply that here now too. And I try to grow what's native. I try to grow what's perennial, what's gonna come back around. And when I'm using plants that are coming from different places, I'm only using them if I've met them in their hometown, like our mm-hmm. Jamaica or hibiscus. We mm-hmm. brew a lot of kombucha. And um, I love using hibiscus in our kombuchas. 
And I used that because I was able to get it in Tanzania and bring it all the way back. Mm. So that's another something I've learned is that we ship sacred medicines and plants all around the globe Mm -hmm. often. (laughs) And there's something to knowing how your plant grows that really creates a path for good health. I think of beans. Yeah. You know, like if you if you grew beans and you harvested beans, you probably wouldn't put four huge scoops of beans on your plate. Mm-hmm. It's like knowing knowing how people care for things. Mm-hmm. It's one thing I've really learned. The uh, the reality of so many sacred and medicinal plants being shipped all around the world is something mm-hmm. our uh, podcast guest Anne Armbrecht uh, explored in her book, The Business of Botanicals. Beautiful. And that's another uh, resource if folks are interested in learning more about that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, absolutely. Well, Marissa, it is such a joy and pleasure to mm. have the opportunity to sit here, visit with you in the garden and record mm. this episode together and before we sign off and go into our behind the scenes segment that's available to our ambassadors uh, you do need a password to access those resources and uh, if you'd like uh, you'll by becoming an ambassador you'll get access Um, uh, but before we sign off our podcast episode I would just invite you if there's anything else you'd like to say to our audience the why on earth community please Mm. Well, thank you, Aaron. Thank you for the work that you do and the way that you are and how you share with our community. Um, Thank you for listening. Thank you for being present. Thank you for your patience and your kindness and your curiosity. And what I want to share is that your dreams are possible Mm -hmm. and that prayer is profound and that having faith and allowing your actions to be for the greater good will guide you in this life forever. Thank the sun, thank the moon, the water, the fire, the air, the earth. Remember that, and I'll remember that too. And we can recreate a culture of peace and truth that's rooted in the practice of gratitude. So it's been my pleasure to talk with you and you, and I look forward to maybe meeting some of you in person. Thank you. Beautiful. Thank (laughs) you, Marissa. My pleasure. Thank Mm. you. Bye, everybody. Bye. The Why on Earth Community Stewardship and Sustainability podcast series is hosted by Aaron William Perry, author, thought leader, and executive consultant. The podcast and video recordings are made possible by the generous support of people like you. To sign up as a daily, weekly, or monthly supporter, please visit whyonearth.org support. Support packages start at just $1 per month. The podcast series is also sponsored by several corporate and organization sponsors. You can get discounts on their products and services using the code whyonearth, all one word with a Y. These sponsors are listed on the whyonearth.org backslash support page. If you found this particular podcast episode especially insightful, informative, or inspiring, please pass it on and share it with a friend whom you think will also enjoy it. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for your support. And thank you for being a part of the Why on Earth community.